Welcome to Medicare for All Explained. This podcast will enlighten our listeners and dispel the distortions that surround Medicare for All. Medicare for All Explained is produced in collaboration with Physicians for a National Health Program and is hosted and produced by Joe Sparks. I'm your host, Joe Sparks. This is episode 13, We'll Win by Building a Grassroots Movement. My guest, Max Cotterill, is a community organizer with the California Nurses Association and National Nurses United. He works on their Medicare for All organizing campaign. Mr. Cotterill previously worked as the Deputy Field Director of the Real Justice PAC, helped to start an organization called Knock Every Door, and worked on the national organizing staff of the Bernie 2016 campaign. Max Cotterill, welcome to Medicare for All Explained. Thanks for having me, Joe. As I mentioned in the introduction, you're a community organizer. What are your tasks and priorities as a community organizer? Yeah, that's a great question. So my main task is to help organize sort of this mass grassroots movement around Medicare for All. So that means finding folks who are supportive of Medicare for All and helping them to learn new skills, whether it be lead a canvas or talk to their neighbors about Medicare for All or question their representative. My job is to, to help those people do that and to, to put pressure on um, specific representatives to uh, move legislation forward. And I assume there's different ways of talking to legislatures who are for it and those who are against it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of the work has to do with connecting people in their communities because, you know, we know that the only thing that's going to be able to pass Medicare for All is a grassroots movement that's strong enough to take on uh, the healthcare industry. But yeah, it does, it does look pretty different depending on if the, the representative is supportive or if they're not very familiar with Medicare for All or if they're, you know, they, they are familiar with it and they're set against it. We'll come back to that. But what I'd like to ask, now you go out to the community a lot and talk to people, correct? Yes, that's correct. So in your conversations, what have you found that concerns people the most when it comes to health care? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, and my answer, I, w- I would divide my answer up into two two answers. So the vast majority of people, um, when you talk to them about health care, had some sort of negative experience, either themselves or a family member or a close friend. It's pretty consistent that everybody has either known someone or they themselves have not been able to get the medication that they need or see the provider or the doctor or the nurse that they need to treat an illness, either due to financial barriers or having crappy insurance. So that's a pretty consistent thread that we see, regardless of what district or what area we're in. That's the commonality. There's a couple pretty common things that people ask us about when we're out talking to folks about Medicare for All. The vast majority of people know what Medicare for All is generally, but obviously the top question that we get is, how do we plan to pay for it? And we also hear what will happen to the existing system, what happens to private insurance or employer-based insurance. And then there's a lot of other questions that come depending on who we're talking to. So seniors are often 
curious how Medicare for All would impact the care that they get and what they would mean in terms of supplemental insurance. So it really depends. We get all, all sorts of different questions. So my next question was going to be, what do people understand about Medicare for All and what do people not understand about it? Yeah, that's, that's a really fantastic question. And what I'll say to that is regardless of the area that we're in, whether it's a, a red district or a blue district or a rural area um, or an urban area, um, what we've consistently seen is that um, people people really understand that um, that there is a uh, a dire need for change. People understand that our healthcare system is in crisis, uh, and like I mentioned earlier, um, it's pretty consistent that people have had a, a fairly negative experience with with the healthcare system. So people really understand that there is a need um, to do this, uh, and then and then beyond that, most people that we actually talk to are are already supportive before we. Um, before we even uh, initiate the conversation. They've already heard about Medicare for All. They already support it. So I think people understand that the scale of our crisis is pretty large and our solution um, can't be incremental. It has to you know, be on the level of the crisis that we're facing and that this is not an impossible task that people, that, that countries around the world have implemented similar systems and that they are both more efficient than ours and have far better outcomes. What have you found to be what people don't understand about it? And are there common misconceptions or just things that they think about Medicare for all that are wrong? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, it's interesting, especially the further we get and the more that the, you know, health, uh, the for-profit healthcare industry has been spending to sort of uh, muddy the water. Um, things uh, people have started asking um, pretty pretty similar questions, but the most common question that we get is, um, you know, how do we plan to pay for it? Um, and and I'll tell you our answer, and I'll, and I'll also say that people people really understand the answer too. But the the very simple answer is we pay for it through taxes. So taxes would sort of replace our current healthcare spending. So that's premiums, deductibles, copays, fees, just bills in general, um, and multiple studies, study after study, have kind of consistently shown that the average family would pay a lot less in taxes than they currently do for healthcare. And that's not even to kind of get into that people are paying a lot of money right now for healthcare um, that they maybe can't even use. You know, there's people who have are paying insurance premiums who have huge deductibles who can't actually use them. Uh, there are still a lot of financial barriers to care. So not only would most families save money under Medicare for All, it would include comprehensive benefits, free at the point of service, and, you know, obviously no longer be kind of rationed along ability to pay. Another big question that we get, uh, particularly from seniors, is how Medicare for All would impact the care that they're getting currently through Medicare. Um, and especially recently, as, as um, again, some of the uh, anti-Medicare for All forces, the for-profit healthcare industry, have been trying to um, kind of play up fears that, you know, somehow that expanding Medicare for all is actually threatening it. We've been getting some of these questions. And our answer is it's pretty hard, I think, for um, insurance companies and, and for the for-profit industry to kind of refute. Um, and our answer is that the care that seniors get from Medicare for all would, would get even better, right? As you know, Medicare is pretty popular right now, but there are a few things that it doesn't cover. So if Medicare for all would, was passed, then, you know, it would be including long-term care and vision and dental. And it would really eliminate this need for sort of supplemental Medicare Advantage plans, which I think a lot of seniors, are, you know, get excited about since they tend to be on fixed incomes. So those are two questions we get fairly often, but, but there's, a, there's a number of different questions that we'll get. I think that those are really excellent points. 
And as an economist I interviewed earlier, Gerald Friedman said, yeah, your taxes will go up, but they're not going to skyrocket. And most families, of course, will have substantially more disposable income under Medicare for all. So I just wanted to emphasize that point. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of people really understand also that there are multiple countries, actually most industrialized countries around the world have figured out how to get to universal health care, many of them through single payer systems. So I think people understand on a fundamental level that, you know, the richest country in the history of the earth, we can also figure out how to do this. And that, you know, the current amount that we're spending on health care is sort of obscene. And it's even more obscene when you consider that we have far less health outcomes and we get a lot less for our money than through other countries. One of the things the opposition also says is, oh, you'll have longer wait times and you won't be able to get the care that you need. How do you respond to that? Yeah, that's something that we hear um, occasionally. But what I'll say is this. In countries where there are, you know, marginal wait times for non-emergency procedures, their healthcare systems are still wildly, wildly popular. So Britain, for example, the NHS is it's kind of a joke that the NHS is, you know, even more uh, popular than the Queen. And the second kind of part of that is, you know, we already have considerable wait times in this country. And even even worse than that, you know, there's a lot of people who can't even, you know, there's nothing to wait for because they either don't have insurance or they do have insurance and it's so expensive that they can't actually um, get the care that they need. So we do hear occasionally about wait times, um, but we also know that, you know, Canadians are not fleeing across the border to, to utilize American health care. So it's uh, an overblown worry. Yes. And one of the things from what I've heard is Canadians don't really come here that much for health care. The stories that the Canadians hear is that people from the United States come there to purchase cheaper drugs. And the story of Canadians coming here for health care, there might be occasionally an antidotal story, but overall it just isn't happening. Yeah, absolutely. It, it happens on, you know, kind of both, both ends of the U.S. border. You know, you have Americans going to Canada for cheaper pharmaceuticals. Here where I'm located down in San Diego, if you just cross the border and go over to Tijuana, the first thing that you'll notice is that there's dentist offices everywhere. Um, and that's because there's so many Americans going across the border to get much cheaper dental care there. So it's really quite quite the opposite scenario than, you know, what the for-profit industry is, is trying to tell us. Well, two quick points. The first is that the Commonwealth Fund rates 10 to 11 countries every three years. And in 2014 and 2017, England came out on top, and their wait times, on average, were less than the United States. The -hmm. other thing is, Utah found that the way they could save money on dental care is encouraging people to go to Mexico to get dental care. So I think it's funny when people say, oh, all these people are coming to the United States, but we have people from the United States who are going to other countries, too, to get medical care. Yeah, that's totally right. And, you know, another another whole kind of angle to this is um, when people are having such significant financial barriers to care here in the U.S. that they have to travel to another country um, or probably, you know, even more common, um, not not getting the care that they need, not being able to go to, to Mexico or Canada. Um, it's causing a lot of Americans health problems to get even worse. You know, in a world where we've passed Medicare for all, one of the great things is that people will be able to, you know, actually focus on 
um, on preventing illnesses from getting worse and not, not allowing them to get compounded and, and turn into, you know, worse diseases and uh, illnesses that are more expensive and more difficult to treat. Well, that's a great point. And I think most people would love to be able to go to the doctor and not have to ask these two questions. Gee, doc, how much will it cost? Or the other question, does my insurance cover it? Because that is a really big deal. Definitely. I'd like to, Jeff, what have you found to be most effective in getting people to become supporters of Medicare for All? Yeah, that's a really great question. A lot of the time, and, and I said this earlier, but a lot of the time what we found is that people are really already supportive. So a lot of, a lot of what we do is, um, you know, connecting with the people who kind of are, um, maybe sort of, you can think of them as like soft supporters and then teasing out what they've heard from the profit insurance industry or maybe things that they're not completely, um, sure on and, and just sort of being able to answer their questions and, and sort of deepen their understanding. But generally, um, there's a couple different things that, that we like to talk about. One thing is that, um, and this is, you know, kind of hitting on a common theme, um, you know, the for-profit insurance industry and for-profit healthcare industry has been recently sort of saying that Medicare for all would somehow inhibit patient choice, which again is kind of like completely, completely backwards. So one thing that people are really excited about is that Medicare for all would mean the end to having to figure out whether a provider is in network or out of network. So it would actually mean you know, true freedom of choice for patients, um, you know, being able to see the doctor or the specialist or go to the hospital that they want. So people really, really kind of understand that. Explaining it also as a reform that's primarily focused on changing the way that we finance healthcare is another kind of really quick way to, you know, deepen people's understanding and to move someone to support. Because I think people, you know, there's this kind of, uh, this refrain or this, this thing that's been going around recently that, you know, people, people love their insurance. This is what, you know, someone has been, or the, the, ins- the insurance industry has been saying, you know, people, people don't want to give up their insurance. But that's not really true. Nobody loves for Blue Cross, Blue Shield, or United Health Group. People like their providers. Um, and I think that most people understand that the private insurance industry really is uh, an expensive middleman that, you know, doesn't actually provide care. It just kind of is an entity unto itself that adds a lot of cost to the process and bureaucracy. So explaining Medicare for All as a way that we really simplify the financing of healthcare, both by, you know, cutting out the middlemen, but then also on the provider side, also making sure that they don't have to have their own bureaucracy to kind of figure out all the billing. People really understand that as well. And then the other thing is um, expanding, again, the, the benefits that are covered by Medicare. Um, especially for seniors, this is, this is pretty powerful. But when we talk about that Medicare for all would include comprehensive medical care, dental, vision, reproductive care, long-term care, these types of things, um, people, people really understand that and really enjoy that as well. And then the very final thing I'll say is that, and this goes along with the sort of the financing angle, but that Medicare for all would actually save us a considerable amount of money. People really do understand that we're paying more for healthcare than any other country in the world. And they also understand that we're getting not a lot to show for it. So being able to talk to people about how Medicare as it exists today is so much more efficient when it comes to administration um, as compared to the, the private industry. People understand that that will lead to significant savings. And they understand, uh, and this is, I think, really important, 
that Medicare for all, that those savings, those administrative savings are really only possible under a Medicare for all, you know, single payer system that the public option or, or some of these other proposals that are, are starting to be floated, those will not result in significant savings. So to, again, just to kind of recap the, you know, freedom of choice to choose provider, emphasizing the way that we, that Medicare for all is about changing the way that we finance healthcare emphasizing that benefits covered by Medicare will expand and that throughout this whole process that we'll be saving a ton of money and really simplifying the system, it really kind of drives on the point that Medicare for all is sort of a slam dunk policy proposal. When you make these arguments, do you find that this causes people to become enthusiastic supporters and want to advocate for it in some way, even if it's just calling their congressional senators or representatives? Yeah, so that's a really, really great, great question. So, you know, when we're out doing one of these canvases in a neighborhood or in a community, we sort of have three kind of goals when we go into it. The first is to, you know, educate people broadly about Medicare for All. Like I said, the vast majority of people already know generally what Medicare for All is, and most of those people support it. So really, it's about the latter two things, which are sort of for our organizing being able to identify those new supporters and um, and kind of collecting their contact information so that we can bring them into our movement and to our organizing, which means, you know, bringing, inviting them to a future canvas or inviting them to, uh, you know, call their um, representative or, or go to their representative's office or go to a town hall, that sort of thing. But then the third thing is really what you're getting at, which is connecting that excitement to, to you know, really being the catalyst to generate pressure. Because we all know, we all know that Medicare for All is incredibly popular, and anybody who's been canvassing on it knows that it, that it, you know, that the, the polls are correct, that people are really supportive of it. So we really see a huge part of our job as not really educating people about Medicare for All. We do do that, but our focus is more on really being that catalyst to sort of ignite that broad public support that exists into pressure on uh, specific offices, not only in the form of calls, but again. Um, in visits, in, in attending town halls, um, because again, the only way that we are going to overcome this sort of vast inertia of the, the for-profit healthcare industry is by a mass movement. So we really need to catalyze that broad public support into pressure on decision makers. So would you have any recommendations for what you think we can do better to build support for Medicare for All? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. So I, I have two answers to that. One is if anybody is interested in doing canvassing or learning how to canvas or learning how to host a canvas, I would encourage folks to go to Medicare the number four all dot org, and there's lots of information on that site on how to get involved and um, how to learn those skills or take part in a canvas. So I would definitely encourage that. The second thing is is sort of a concept that we teach our canvassers about before they go out into the community to either knock on doors or talk to people in public. And we kind of refer to this technique as the response cycle. And I think it's the, the general kind of lessons and theory behind it are something that all supporters should really know about because it's very effective. But basically, this response cycle, what it has to do with is essentially not arguing with people. So the first thing that we tell canvassers is that you know, if you get into an argument with someone, almost every time, you know, we will fail at that, at converting them to become a supporter. What all the social psychology research tells us is that as soon as you get into an argument with someone, the chances that you're going to actually be able to convince them to shift their beliefs to move in your direction, um, the chances of that happening become really, really small. It's very, very difficult. 
it is very easy when you get into an argument with someone to kind of re-entrench their original belief. So we really try to stay away from arguing with people, which can be counterintuitive because if we want to advocate on this issue um, and it's, you know, it's easy to get in an argument. But getting back to the response cycle, what the response cycle is all about is a few different steps. I'll quickly go through them. So the first step is sort of listening to people. So as you're, as you're having conversations either at a canvas or with someone you know about Medicare for All or any other issue for that matter, the first step is really to, to listen to what they're saying, even if you disagree with what, what they're saying. So this, this kind of involves, you know, um, and if it's in person, you know, making eye contact, nodding, smiling, um, not interrupting them just kind of trying to identify their key concerns, but most importantly, listening to them. So that's the first step. The second step is to sort of acknowledge what they've said. So again, even if you've disagreed with what they've said, you want to sort of acknowledge and validate what you've heard. And to, again, not make it confrontational, not make it sort of an argument where it's them against you. You want to, you know, validate what they've said and, and validate their experience. Again, even if you disagree with what they've said. So you kind of repeat back to them what they've said to show that you were listening, for example. So that's step number two. Step number three is sort of sharing sharing a little bit about your own either story or your own experience. In this case, if it's about Medicare for All, it could be a story of a run-in you've had with the healthcare system or with an insurance company. And if you can relate your story to theirs, that's even more powerful. But that's sort of the order that you want to go in. Listening, acknowledging, sharing your own experience. And then from there, that's actually when we move into making our case for Medicare for All and actually talking about the policy and, and why we're supporting the policy. It's very easy early in a conversation with anybody, with a stranger or with someone you know, to you know put them on the defensive and get into an adversarial position. So really what we want to do is to uh, do the opposite of that, right? To listen, to acknowledge, even if we disagree with them. And then to sort of disclose and, you know, share your own beliefs and experiences and then make your case. And that's really the order that, again, the, the psychological research says is the most potent for winning someone over to your side of the debate. Yes, it almost sounds like one of the things is, oh, I hear your concerns. And let me explain how Medicare for All addresses your concerns, something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And even if it's, again, something that you don't disagree with, the, the first two steps are really important, just listening to them, which is very easy. And then acknowledging what you've heard, kind of repeating back to prove that you were kind of listening. Those are really crucial steps. And then sort of then from there, once you've sort of developed a little bit of a rapport that they are not defensive and they can kind of trust you a little bit more that you're taking them seriously, then that's when you actually start slowly moving into sharing your own experience and making your case. And that's something that's really, really effective in any, again, in any scenario, whether it's at the door with a stranger or with a family member, really staying away from, from creating sides and trying to make it much more of a dialogue. Well, I've studied communications research, and that is exactly correct. Often, if somebody makes an argument and you state facts that show that they're wrong, they'll just double down. So you want to get them in a frame of mind that they can agree with you and they'll listen to you. That's very important, and I think that's wonderful advice. Before we end, do you have anything that you would like to add? Yeah, the last thing, and, and I say this often, but, you know, and I've said it throughout this interview as well, we know that Medicare for All is the solution, right? If, if you're listening to this, you're probably a supporter of Medicare for All, and we know that the vast majority of people in the U.S. are on our side, that they 
see the, the healthcare crisis every single day and that they've experienced it and their family and friends have experienced it. And most people know that Medicare for All is really the best solution to that. But there is considerable opposition to it. There's, you know, there are billions and billions of dollars being made by these for-profit insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, hospital corporations. And really, they have a lot of money and they're going to spend a lot of money to protect their ability to extract profit. So what I always like to emphasize is that we know that Medicare for All is the solution, but the only way that we'll win, the only way that we'll win is by really building a grassroots movement that's across the country, a mass movement that can really pressure decision makers and hold them to actually doing Medicare for All. There's no other way that we're going to be able to win. And I think this is this is true of social movements throughout history and certainly of major reforms in our country's history. The only way that we'll win is through a mass grassroots movement that can overcome uh, the money that the for-profit industry is going to throw in our way. But if we can organize that mass movement, then there's no doubt that we can win. That's what I'd like to end on. Well, I would strongly second that. Max, thank you so much for being on Medicare for All Explained. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You have been listening to Medicare for All Explained. Information about this podcast can be found at our website, medicareforallexplained.org. The music for this show is Super Bubbly by Jesse Spillane. The logo was created by Lily Sparks. Thank you for listening.